last couple of weeks, uh, Ben and Tim uh, gave sermons that were really a, a vertical relationship, where our hearts are in gratitude and praise to the Lord. And this week, we're going to go more on the horizontal level. Uh, but it's, it's really neat that it, it works out that we would we would first start the vertical relationship before we ever started talking about the horizontal one. The horizontal one is the one between you and I, the, the us's, the one another's of the body, of the, the entire church, uh, God's church, not this, you know, so the capital C church. But no horizontal relationship really is going to work out if you leave the vertical one aside. So everything that we had in the last couple of weeks are really the foundation of what this horizontal relationship is going to work like. I mean, if the world tries to get these relationships right um, horizontally without God and quite often fail. And even if they don't fail on the surface, even if they don't uh, end up with all kinds of problems in those relationships, they can be better with the vertical one. Bless Tim and Ben who aren't here today uh, for what they've given us, and, and let's just use that to build what we're going to be talking about on this horizontal relationship. Trust is vital to the whole deal. You know, beginning with the trust in that vertical relationship, our trust in God is vital. Um, we trust a lot of things. This this stand is heavy. And I know why. It's gravity. Gravity, if I can pick it up and then drop it, you see it fall, and it's gravity that's doing that. And I can trust that every time I pick this thing up and, and let go, it's going to drop. Because I trust gravity. We trust people. Like, I trust that after really hard work for my employment, that I'm going to get paid. I sort of trust it's going to be a lot. <laughs> And you know what it is. I, I will never complain about how much money I make because I am being paid on faith and trust. I trust that I'm going to be paid my work. And it's, the trust is paid off with my employer. We've got a good relationship that's built on trust. You know, uh, Xander had already taken off, but one of my grandsons, oh, he didn't take off. He's right there. <laughs> he told me Friday, and I'm thinking about this, he asked, Grandpa, what, what can we count on? And my pride jumped up a couple of notches and thinking, you know, the answer is going to be Grandpa. He counted Grandpa. And even if he doesn't give me Grandpa, he's going to give me Grandpa. But the answer was, well, we always count on our fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sam. But, uh, you know, this, this trust comes from the trustworthy. And, and that's not too hard to accept. It's almost the definition of the thing. And one version of this, simply put, is that who we listen to matters. You know, it really does. It's who are you going to listen to matters. Where are you going to put your trust? My, my dad had a special way of uh, teaching our family, my siblings and I. Um, Ranging on ages, my, my couple of my brothers, their twins, they're two and a half years older, and my sister's about two and a half years behind me. So we kind of figured it out at different paces, but the, the family dinner table was absolutely critical in our household. Uh, because it is, dad got home from work, he's got himself cleaned up, he's a construction worker, uh, so you know, he 
you really didn't get to lay his eyes on him until about 4.30, 5 o'clock, and shortly after that, we'd be at the dinner table. And he's a very wise man. He would tell us stories to teach us. Maybe not even tell us the moral of the story, but just share the story and then end it and let us kind of figure out what was going on. But he knew something about human nature, or at least teenage nature, something less than human nature. Um, and that is that a lot of times you don't you think you know more than your parents. Pharaoh and the Egyptians for his 
Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel, and, what he had and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law, or Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to them, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For one, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people, and all this people who will go to, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel, and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Lord, Father, we want to have a right relationship with you. We want you to guide us with the help of others uh, to follow your word and your ways, to seek your uh, your face and your scripture and in dialogue between people. Lord, I ask that you would be with us in spirit today, both me as I speak and the audience as we listen with our hearts open and uh, ready for you to bestow on us what it is you want us to hear. Lord, cause me not to stumble over the words or be overly nervous in front of people, but instead, put your spirit in me. Let your words come from my mouth. Let your words of scripture 
God uses an interaction between Jethro and Moses to, you know, if you've got your outline, let's, let's cross off that word save. That, that's really something that needs to be um, held for the work that Jesus Christ did, and, has done. And, and Jesus wasn't present in this scene. So really speaking of Jethro's being saved would be an error. And in Christ, instead, just prop it off and write convert. Much better descriptive word of what was going on. So God uses an interaction between Jethro and Moses to convert a pagan and to lead a nation. I'm setting up the scene. Back, back in chapter 4 of Exodus was the last we heard of Moses' family. Uh, Moses respectfully went to Jethro and requested that he be able to go to Egypt, back to his people. And Jethro approved this. So Moses loaded up the family, and our version is the minivan, back then it was a donkey, and loaded up the wife and kids, and, and they left and headed off for Egypt with Jethro staying behind. Um, verses 1 through 6, so it's a pretty big scene. Um, so let me take some time to expand on some of the subtleties of it. Uh, it's from this setup in verse 1 through 6 that we get to understand why Jethro would listen so intently to what Moses would share. Um, and then in verses 7 and 8, the sharing happens. So the verses 1 through 6, at, at some time between me heading off with the family of chapter 4, and now, the, or the scene, the, the family apparently has got sent back to Jethro. But the Bible doesn't really tell us when or why that happened. You know, my mind goes to practical answers. Uh, maybe it wasn't very safe. Maybe he knew what was ahead of him uh, in Egypt, that this is no place to bring your family. Um, maybe he left with the family just so somewhere out in the wilderness before he got to Egypt, he'd send them back, but he'd have that quiet time with them. I don't know. And the problem with that kind of conjecture is you're filling up your mind, maybe your heart, with stuff that really isn't in Scripture. So don't, don't go there. Don't try and figure out those tough, oh, what is the depth of this? Why is this? And other times the Spirit may lead you to do just that. He may even speak to you about what's going on behind the scenes. But what is clear here is that it happened. Um, if it were more important to know why, I think it would be here. Uh, but what he does make clear, the bigger point, is that Jethro brought the family back to Moses. So that's where we'll take off. Uh, and then he's also got this little dialogue about the names of the sons. Uh, they have special meaning. I mean, these names were given based on where Moses was at the time of the birth of the boys. So the, the first kid, um, Gershon, presents the, the feelings of Moses that he was a sojourner, a stranger in the land that he just didn't feel very comfortable. Um, he was an alien. The, the second son, 
Eliezer, uh, his was a lot more hopeful. Uh, his was that of my father's God was my helper. So together, we get a glimpse of the mind of Moses, where he is now. But we also see the state of Israel. Uh, they were aliens in a foreign land, but they also knew that they had God as their helper. It's kind of wrapped up in a nice little bundle of not just Moses, but all of Israel. And, and don't we have the same situation in our journey uh, of acceptance of Christ in the kingdom? We, we start in a place we don't naturally belong, sojourned in a sin-fallen world that we weren't really designed for. And we escape that shackled life with the help of God in Christ. So we're sojourners and we're depending on God. Uh, today we have the good news. And we're about to see how Jethro is going to receive a similar opportunity. The opportunity to know the one true God as he spoke to Moses. In verse 6, we see that Jethro sent word uh, that he was on the way with the part of the voice. Again, comes an nagging question, but the answers do relate to the whole trust issue. Uh, therefore, I'll take some time to try and answer what I believe the scripture does show us. Uh, how is it that Jethro knew when and where to go? Well, uh, in Exodus 3.1, Moses was tending Jethro's flock on the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, mountain of God. So Horeb, which is where Israel is in this scene, um, was in or near the region of Midian. I don't think Moses would have taken Jethro's flocks and gone for a three-month journey just to go find uh, pasture land. He was in the territory. Secondly, Moses' first encounter with God while shepherding near Horeb suggests to us that a trek to Mount Horeb is not an out-of-the-question journey from where Jethro lived. We've got the ability to get there. So we've, uh, we've got proximity in the first example, we've got the ability in the second, and then we're looking for a reason. We know the promise from God to Moses uh, that he would return to Mount Horeb this is from the burning of the bush scene. Uh, and Moses related that story to Jethro when he asked to leave in the first place. So Jethro uh, heard of this return to Horeb of Israel, and it seems to be coming true. So he's got this reason to go check it out. So he, he's got every good opportunity and reason of when and where to go. Uh, if Jethro needed more prodding to find Moses, some evidence provided by what I call the local newspaper of the time, travelers, probably merchants, telling stories, uh, they would help Jethro figure out what's going on out here. And, and the headlines taking from the, the few chapters before this, uh, you, you remember watching these film noir movies where Spencer Tracy or Clark Gable or one of those types would be the, the newspaper editor, you know, so these rolled up and press has to go out and make that first edition. And, and they'd show you the spinning newspaper and then finally it would stop and you'd see the headline. And that was a way of telling you what was going on. Well, the headline then might read, um, Israel swamps Pharaoh at the Red Sea. 
part of the past. And that'd be a pretty impressive thing. Really? Egypt? Being crushed by little Israel? Wow, that is huge stuff. And the chapter just before this, um, Israel went up to battle against Amalek. And that banner would be Banner Day as Israel defeats Amalekites. Big news in the territory. Amalekites were kind of a pain in the rear end for everybody. And Israel took them down. Moses is the leader of a very strong nation. A nation that is starting to be feared. They took on Egypt and won. They took on the Amalekites. And it was very obviously they had God on their side. So what else is this leader Moses going to be doing to people that come in front of him? Just as likely, Jethro would have heard from travelers that, I mean, Israel is like two million people. So it's not like they're hiding behind bushes or anything. They're going to be seen. So travelers would have seen them. Word would get back that, hey, they're encamped at Horeb. So this is where Jethro would go to meet them. Um, verse 6 also displays the respect Jethro gave to Moses. Sending word he would be coming serves a couple of purposes in my mind. One of them would be simply so Moses could be prepared, uh, you know, hospitality nature. Uh, the second one might be a defensive posture. If this guy Moses is the brilliant captain of armies, and that's how he's defeating people, and maybe he holds a grudge because I've got his family or something like that. If I'm Jethro, I'd want an ace up my sleeve. And that ace up my sleeve is, I've got his family. I'll bring the family. So I'm not just going to announce that I'm coming. I'm coming and I'm bringing the poor and the boys. So uh, that, that brings us into what the response was. And, and the visit, um, it went absolutely opposite conflict. You know, Moses took the lead, and he went out to Jethro, and he greeted him with a bow and a kiss. You know, he, he took that fear factor out of the equation, off the table. Uh, then, the two were allowed to have a, a proper relationship, and they went in the tent to talk. So that sets up the circumstances of the interaction between Moses and Jethro. Uh, Jethro was warmly welcomed, and now comfortable in front of Moses. So first we'll, we'll look at what the result of Jethro listening to Moses was. Then we'll look at the result of Moses listening to Jethro. But that first part, Jethro listening to Moses, Moses told his father-in-law, and, and when you read this chapter, I don't know what it is, seven, eight times, he says, Moses' father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law. Why? Gosh, I get the point. But there was a family relationship as well. One that conveys the trust that comes, what was the word that they used uh, often? Um, I'm not going to tell this thing. Oh, uh, I love Linda's kids who weren't born in me. And it started out by foxes. I love them because of Linda. Through relationship, I've come to love them on their own merit. Um, Scotty's wife, Michelle, didn't know her. Mary Scotty, that's good enough for me. 
I'm going to love her. But now time has passed, and I absolutely do love her. So God is bringing this father-in-law business up so many times that there is a trust that Moses, until you catch on that you should, why do you try trusting him? And I think that's why it's just repeated over and over and over that uh, there's a basis of relationship that at least gets you to start the conversation or be willing to accept some information. What did Moses tell his father-in-law? He told him all the Lord had done about Pharaoh and Egypt, about hardship, you know, that they didn't have anything to eat, and God fed them, they didn't have any water, but it came out of the rock. Um, about deliverance, no matter the situation, God proved himself to Moses and Israel. And the result, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel. What Moses said, adding to all these reports that I'm calling the newspaper headlines, uh, was convincing. So he, he repeated what Jethro already heard, but coming out of his mouth, it helped convince Jethro beyond what the stories were. So if Jethro was going to check it out, now he's got some even stronger evidence to support it, and he starts to give in. You know, when Jethro had an earlier chance to be convinced, because Moses came to him right after the burning bush and told him about it. And from that, Jethro was willing to let him go to Egypt for one of two reasons. He bought in and believed him, or thought, this son-in-law is a nut job. Let's walk into bushes. Let's get him out of here. Yeah, go. Go. It's dangerous. He might not come back. This sounds fine. He willingly sent him there for one of those two reasons. I think you can rule out the nut job. That was fun, but no, there's just too much evidence that goes with it, and trust had started. He had um, lovingly protected Zipporah and, and, uh, in the past, and, and I think that was enough for uh, Jethro to say, okay, maybe I don't know why, but you, you're, you're free to go, that, that'll be fine. Um, so Jethro, in this scene, is now moving from uh, suspicious wariness to uh, a changed mind. And he's going from, this is, this is all kind of adding up to, yeah, you know what, I believe you. And we've got to remember through this that when Jethro says, your God is greater than all gods, you've got to remember who he is. He's a priest. He's a Midianite priest, probably a high priest. And he's not going from, when you say there's a God out there, to believing that, why, wow, you guys do have the one true God. That would be quite a leap and, and really an amazing conversion. But this is even bigger. This guy is a priest believing in a specific God. His life is based on his belief system. And Moses is turning it around, and Jethro buys in. He takes it all on, hook, line, and sinker. Yes, this is the one true God. An amazing conversion. 
all the the witnesses, all the things that he could even see, two million people encamped at Horeb, uh, something that was prophesied to him from the burning bush episode. That was all good, and it wasn't enough. And then finally, through a horizontal relationship, that at least Moses had a vertical one going on, that's what finally convinced him. And all that was because Moses was able to wrap up in a tiny, nice, tidy bundle what God had done for Israel. The, the speech he gave jived with everything that Jethro had been hearing. You know, we remember that Pharaoh gave all kinds of lip service to Moses when Moses uh, wanted him to let his people go. And he'd say, oh yeah, go. And then immediately his heart was hardened and said, no, you got to stay. Well, how do we know that's not going to happen here? Why not? Why, why is Jethro going to be different? Why was his heart going to stay soft to God? Well, let's look at the next couple of verses. Uh, these are not the actions the Midian priests would be okay with doing just to fit in. In verses 10 and 12, he praises God and brings a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Jethro joined Moses, Aaron, and other elders uh, to eat bread with Moses before God. You know, the, the sacrificial uh, system that Israel would follow had not been given yet. But the sacrificial concept had been around for years. I mean, Cain and Abel was the first we hear of it. So Cain's sacrifice wasn't considered as worthy as Abel's. Uh, so the, the Sacrifice existed. I don't know if you want to say it's just hardwired into us, but it, it, it sort of seems that way. So when Jethro confesses this one true God, it would be a very, I mean, why not do this? I mean, your next breath is common to you. Praising God when you're accepting him is just as common. You would want to do something like Jethro did. There's a couple of things that I think are interesting about this. Um, they ate bread. Now, if you recall, when they were in the wilderness, they didn't have bread. They had manna. So I gotta kind of think that this sacrificial communal meal was really manna. So what does that say to me? It says that not only did Jethro accept God as the one true God, and with all these elders and Aaron and of course Moses eating with them speaks to Israel accepting Jethro. So Jethro's accepting God, Israel's accepting Jethro. I think the man part of it is the only thing they had, and God is accepting that as a sacrifice. I think God's accepting Jethro as well. And he's going to use him. What's God do with the slave's conversion? You know, the results of Moses listening to Jethro are these verses 13 through the end, through 26. And basically, he's telling Moses, 
you're spending way too much time in this judgment system. Uh, you know, you're going to tucker yourself out. Uh, and not just Moses, he wasn't just afraid of Moses tuckering himself out, he's afraid of the people as well, uh, exhausting themselves. He suggests that Moses should continue to bring God's word to the people, but enlist the help of men who are able to, to offer that help in smaller cases. And you know, thousands and what is it, thousands and fifties and tens and uh, oh, thousands, hundreds of fifties and of tens. So he, he's introducing a judicial system. And when I say introducing, you got to realize that Israel had been slaves to Pharaoh. They don't know a justice system. You know, we're, we're created in God's image. God is just. So we are wired for justice. We want it. We won't always get it right, but we do want justice. So Israel had gone hundreds of years without it. They're hungry for it. They don't know how to start it. They're all bugging Moses endlessly to say, inquire of God for us, of us. Inquire of God for us. Well, I think my neighbor took my land. Go see what God has to say about it. And these are the smaller things that would be exhausting to Moses to have to inquire of God of all those things. And with a few million people, there just aren't going to be enough hours in the days. So Jethro, a recent, recent convert, brings the system to him. This is what y'all do. This will give you the opportunities. And it, it is a, a great blessing to Israel. Not because they finally have a justice system, not one that says, hey, Pharaoh says so, it's the way it is. But one that looks to God for that help and has all these people now helping. And with all those people now helping, if the, if the case were hard enough, complicated enough, it may come all the way to Moses, just like we have the Supreme Court. But more than likely, it's handled down the traffic road. It doesn't have to go all the way up the ladder, but it can if necessary. It's not something that we just make up on our own. They needed somebody like Jethro to bring that plan to action. And again, horizontal relationship, vertical relationship, they needed somebody like God put it through Jethro into the system. God knew they needed the system. He's using Jethro to bring it. The other huge benefit from this is now Moses is freed up to be the true spiritual leader of Israel, not just hear cases, problems between the people. And by being the spiritual leader of Israel, it's proactively Avoiding those cases. If you can get the people thinking correctly, and you get their hearts in the right places, they're not stealing lands. They're not harming their neighbors. They're loving their neighbors. So then verses 24 and 26 wrap it up with Moses following the advice. Super simple. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So as quickly as Jethro came in, went back out. Moses, writing next to this, did spend some time on what this whole judicial system would look like. You know, the, the, 
thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And it's, it's a good place to have in your study, if you're trying to understand where our church should go with leadership. Uh, but I'm not going to go into that today. Uh, time to prohibit that. But let me write, or why don't you write down, let me tell you some verses to look at um, in conjunction with this so that on your own, in your own quiet time, you can start looking at what leadership in God's church looks like. So we've got this, Exodus uh, 13 through 23, and you can compare and contrast it with Acts 6, 1 through 7, and you might be familiar, that's where the uh, apostles are just overwhelmed, so they appoint elders and deacons. We could also look at 1 Timothy 3, which speaks to the qualification, um, because here this speaks to find able men, and in 1 Timothy 3, you're going to find other qualifications that you need to look for in leadership. Uh, so let me just leave that with you guys. You know, maybe it's a project you could take on in your life group, or, or a smaller study that you're doing with somebody, or just meditate on it alone at home. In your quiet time. So Moses ended the narrative. You know, let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. That is so different than Moses sent him away. He let his father-in-law depart. And different than Jethro got up and left. He went away to his own country. And you can just imagine beyond the you know the their introduction was that welcome, loving one. The farewell was just as loving. And it could really support Jethro. Thinking, yeah, I mean, I'm as love going out as I was coming in, and I'm going to keep this going. I mean, the Bible doesn't say this, but you just wonder what happened to all the people Jethro met after that narrative. When he returned to his own country, many night priests, what did he teach? In his church. You know, he's a changed man. He believes in the one true God. Something would have had to have changed. So let's look at some applications to this. We'll start with uh, Jethro hearing from Moses. What are some applications? You know, Jethro took a lot of convincing. And we want the most amount of information we can possibly get before we make decisions. But we can't wait for all of the information. You know, to begin with, other than God, nobody has all the information. Secondly, if you wait and wait and wait for the information, the opportunity will probably go right on by before you were able to reach out and grab it. Like Jethro, we hear something that makes sense. But until we hear more, we aren't sure we're ready to believe it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's even a wise thing about most things. But waiting until there's proof beyond a shadow of a doubt, that can be harmful. Again, you might miss your opportunities. You know, if you're a believer here this morning, think about your own faith. Hebrews 11 defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So be careful in waiting for all the answers when 
faith is in the right thing. What are the dependable understandings? <clears throat> I suggest spirit-guided scriptural reading. Let the spirit guide you and look for the word from God in his word in scripture. And make sure you're praying to the spirit to help guide you through that. That's one thing. And when you do that, don't hold God to account on the answer you want, but instead hold yourself accountable to what God gives you. Big difference. It's God holding you to account rather than you holding God to account. It doesn't work to hold God to account on something you're wishing to be said. It will work to hold yourself accountable what he does say in scripture. Another place to trust is in godly people. You know, these people that we're going to be over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens are going to be godly people. That was the design of your way. I, I find that when I seek the counsel of somebody that I think is godly, you know, be mistaken that it has to be somebody older than you and it has to have been a believer for at least 45 years or anything silly like that. No, it's godly people. People who trust and put their faith in God aren't likely to give you information or advice outside of that trust and faith that they have in God. And when I do that, it is so helpful. I mean, they just bring a perspective to me that I was missing on my own. And, and even if they don't have that perspective, when I go to a godly person and say, hey, I'm confused by this particular scripture and I'm not positive where to go with it, if they don't know where to go with it and have at least a strong feeling or opinion about what, where to go, they do the next best thing. Well, let's go work together. And they'll just sort it out with you. And I do this all the time. I mean, I, I do it with Tim, Ben, see Tim Wells back there. You know, these are people that I have a lot of respect for, that I know are going to intently point back to the scripture. You know, what is God saying? Not what do I think, it's what is God saying? So those are godly people that you can count on. The third and the last that I'll mention is circumstances. You can put your trust in circumstances. Jethro had Moses tell him of his encounter with God in the burning bush. He had the reports of Israel's victories over Egypt and the Amalekites. And he had the visual of two million Israelites camped at Horeb as Moses told him would happen. And Bigger than all that was the testimony that Moses gave him in that tent. The verbal testimony that just kind of confirmed all of that. The evidence was overwhelming. My advice to you is don't be blind to circumstances. They'll help your decisions. They just might be overwhelming in testimony and testimony uh, from someone or something you trust is what's going to wrap it up into the package for you. So you can have all these circumstances, pay attention to them, they're important, 
And then along comes somebody who reinforces it with a verbal testimony to you. The overwhelming, just so convincing. As witnesses, when you're talking to people who are starting to ask the probing questions and say, you know, I'm hearing you, and I'm not denying what you're saying, I just need a little more. I'm not ready to accept the faith that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I need a little more. Well, give a little more. We should be thinking of a couple of things when we try to get into them. One, have we shared the most important things about salvation? That God is supreme and has full dominion over us and all his creation. That sin breaks the relationship between God and man. That God himself repaired our relationship with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid our penalty, of the penalty for sin, death. He paid that on a cross. He died for us, for our sin, to restore our relationship with God on a cross. And his victory over death was in his resurrection to where he is now, and that is seated on the throne in heaven. Have you shared all of that with the people who are inquisitive, that are starting to say, hey, maybe something is making sense. Maybe that's that wrapping up testimony, the Moses to Jethro in the tent in your lives, sharing that. And if you have done that, now let's talk about the important one, repentance. You know, so make sure you're sharing that there's got to be a decision made to those people that repentance necessary, and agreeing that, yes, Jesus is Lord. So if you've done all that, good for you. I mean, that's great. You've done a truly great thing. So if that's satisfied, that number one thing, let's go to number two. Are you prepared to spend time with this person? Maybe give them a Bible. Maybe give them some scripture to look at. And if you've given somebody scripture to look at, follow up. Go back to them. What did you find? Let's look at this together. See if they're on the right page. Are they tracking? These are all things that you even have a responsibility to do. Not a responsibility to me or any other person who tells you it's your job, but a responsibility to God. God putting you in a particular in a position to do this. Seize the opportunity. So let's take some lessons from what Moses heard from Jethro. Uh, Jethro had a path to lead. Essentially, he had skill. He wasn't raised a slave as this generation of Israel had. He had the experience of the judicial system, and that was used by God to convince Moses to look at things a new way. So for the non or even new believer, what can you take from this? Well, I would suggest you don't throw out your past. Regardless of the beauty or tragedy of your past, Jesus can or has used it. He cast from you the penalty of sin. He's washed you clean. That's no longer the issue. But what he didn't do, and what he doesn't do, and I don't think he'll ever do, is erase your memory. 
He's going to have you remember your past for a reason. Jethro's past was used by God for the nation of Israel. Your past will be used by God. How? Not sure. An example of what it could be is your testimony of faith. How you came to know the Lord, shared with another, maybe that will convince them of what they needed so that they can start using their faith. But they had to get over the hump. And you sharing how you got over the hump might get them over the hump. For the mature believers in our body, you know, it's sort of the same thing. You have life experiences, and they could be very helpful to the entire body. I'll go beyond it could be. They will be helpful to this body. What Jethro brought to the table in advising, in ad, advising one man, Moses, uh, benefited the entire nation. Is that how your experience is going to be used? Or your abilities are going to be used. Is he going to use your experience to lift up the entire church? Wouldn't that have been a horrible waste if Jethro didn't do anything? If he thought, well, I'm the guest here. I shouldn't be piping up off to Moses about how things should be done. But he was bold. I mean, to even suggest to Moses, who he's listening to, is like, hey, Israel's getting everything right. But I'm going to tell you how to give it even more weight. That might be a little presumptuous. But he did it. And he was bold enough to do it. And God recorded it. And God was pleased with it, or it wouldn't be in here. So let it be that to you. You know, at times, we think we don't have anything to offer. We just like, yeah, you know, I've got the whole group of people. I'm just one guy. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not important enough. I'm not talented enough. And you're not. <laughs> you're not. You're all too weak. And you're not able. If you're doing it on your own. And you're not on your own. You are so far from on your own. God is right there with you. The person of Jesus Christ is right there with you. He gives you his Holy Spirit inside of you to pull this stuff off. So use them. No longer be afraid and timid that you're not going to be the one who's going to have that something this church needs. You are the one. He's not going to do it without you. He wants to use you. So let him. And be blessed for it. It's going to feel really good. You're an image bearers of Christ. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you're worth listening to. There's a purpose to how the Spirit prompts you. I can't say what that is right now. Whatever it is, he's doing it intentionally. So work real hard on listening to him. Use the trusted ally to point to the 
evidence that this is the Spirit talking to you. I mean, I can think of examples, endless examples. They're real easy to spot. We're having a yard sale. Somebody thought we should have a yard sale. Wasn't me, wasn't Ben, wasn't Ted, wasn't the elders. None of us thought that. Somebody tapped an elder on the shoulder and said, I think we ought to do this. Now let's imagine going forward what that yard sale might do. I know of a yard sale that was in the church that I went to called Calvary. That a lady came along and, and bought something. I don't know what. And she was inspired. She was a believer. But she hadn't been going to church. And she was inspired by that one moment where somebody shared with her during the selling of a t-shirt or whatever she bought, how cool it was to attend this church Calvary. So the lady came the next week, and the week after that, and after that, and after that. And she brought talent to the church that blessed the church another level. And that's the way it worked. Because somebody thought we should have a yard sale the entire church is going to be blessed. Not just the recipients of the, the, the specified reason to have the yard sale. Yes, that's a really good reason to have a yard sale. We want to bless the stones. And they're going to have expenses through Mark's uh, prognosis. And that would be a really cool thing when we do that. But even bigger than that is, who shows up? Who did God deliver for you to have an appointment with, to have a conversation in the tent that says, you know what, you're believing in the one true God? Wouldn't it be fantastic? Yeah. It's going to happen. It will happen. And if it doesn't happen at that yard sale, it'll happen at the next yard sale. Or it'll happen at the grocery store, or the coffee shop. It may even happen with two people in this room together. Talking about who knows what that'll lead to God saying, Good, you're finding out what I wanted because you're willing to boldly step into a relationship. By the power of the cross in these relationships, we will go back to the previous two sermons. We will, through our horizontal relationships, return to the vertical relationship with God. We will know what His purpose is. We will know what He designed us to do. And His church will be better for it. It will be built up. The one another's will mean something. Our vision, our mission, walking together in Christ, will mean something. It will mean something because we're doing it. Not for the sake of the mission or the vision, but for the sake of the church. And this is just saying, trust people and trust God through it. And if we do, we will have a stronger church. So let's pray. Lord God, you've shown me evidence. Uh, you've shown me evidence of Two little stories about counting on our fingers to a worship leader asking me if these songs look right. I don't know if they look right, Lord. I don't know about songs. I don't know how to apply the words of songs to the, the, their greater meaning. 
but I trust our worship leader. And I trust that the songs will be right. And when I heard how great thou art being sung in Akatala and just relying on our body coming together as one singer, it told me that trust was worth it. That we did have a trustworthy person in the position to take care of that. So Lord, I just beg you to show me all the relationships that are trustworthy. So I beg that you would put us in uncomfortable positions to talk to one another and explore relationships that we don't know today, but we'll know tomorrow. Give me every reason to reach out and listen to other people. Give other people reasons to say what the Spirit leads them to say that will make a difference in one life that will lead to another and others beyond that. Lord, if you're a great God with no boundaries, so don't let me profoundly wrong you. Don't let me think that I am not worthy. Lord, instead, give me a heart of sharing. Give me a heart of worthiness. A heart that can relay what you give me to others so they can have it too. Lord, just always be trustworthy and let me continually remember that you are. And I pray these things in the name of my Lord, our Savior.